Hey, social media world. Mac Chuck here. I'm here to tell you guys about a new and recent web design and graphic design crew called CCR 515 Webflow by Camilo Rodriguez and the CCR 515 Webflow crew. They do graphic design, website design. They're actually in the middle of designing a awesome new logo for some things for the Mac Truck podcast that we're going to launch in 2024. So if you need a website design or a logo or graphic art of anything, go ahead and check out CCR 515 Webflow. And that's on Facebook and on the World Wide Web. That email again is ccr515.webflow.io. Creator, content designer, owner, Camilo Rodriguez. Go ahead and call 515-313-7343 and go ahead and tell him the Mack truck sent you. Spotify, social media world, Mac Truck here again with another small business break. Again, it's getting to that time of year. We got to have our fresh outfits, got to have new apparel. Go ahead and check out In My Bag Apparel by Evan Bradfield. Go ahead and follow him and the In My Bag Apparel crew on Instagram at In My underscore bag to follow them on social media, Facebook, Instagram. And to get up to $200 with a credit, go ahead and download the WhatNot app and follow their crew as well at EB underscore in my bag apparel again for $200 or up to $200 in credit when you order through the app or through Evan himself. Him and the in my bag apparel have been working hard to create this brand new line. Kind of like I said on some of my earlier podcasts, I've got a bunch of stuff here in the house. Last podcast I did, I was wearing one of my big 3X hoodies. I almost fell asleep in that thing. It's so comfortable, so spacious. The designs and the creations are amazing. So again, go ahead and check out In My Bag Apparel by creator Evan Bradfield. Follow him on Instagram at in my underscore bag or download the Whatnot app for up to $200 worth of credit by following him at EB underscore in my bag apparel. What's up, y'all? Mac Truck back again with another small business update. If you're in the Des Moines area where you're just looking for a brand new barbering experience, go ahead and check out Truth Barbershop, 6563 University Avenue, Windsor Heights, Iowa. Shop hours are 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Go ahead and tell them the Mac Truck sent you. Go ahead and call 515-650. 3258 to book your appointments with Chris Fats, the barber Dixon, or Gary Duke Williams, the barber himself. If you guys are looking for a new barbering experience, I highly, highly suggest you go check out the shop. Just opened two of my favorite human beings in the entire world. They do amazing work for amazing people, and right now, going on until December 23rd of this year. If you bring in a toy to 
your appointment at the Truth Barbering Shop, you will receive $10 off of your service when you book an appointment through the Truth Barbering Shop crew. Again, that's 6563 University Avenue, Windsor Heights, Iowa. Shop hours are 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Go ahead and tell them the Mack truck sent you. Welcome back. It's the Mac Truck Podcast here on Spotify and Spotify Podcasts. Slightly live, slightly recorded, but either way, we're still here. Tuesday, December 19th, 2023. I am your hostess with the mostest, Mackenzie Brooks, aka the Mac Truck, aka your worst nightmare. We got a late, late cap, nightcap pod here early morning pod wherever you're listening got a lot to cover in decent amount of time so much to go through in terms of sports and I'm just excited because I'm on episode 10 it's a milestone I still get to share my love and passion of sports with you guys uh those you guys who have been following me and listening who have been a part of this this interesting journey for me to get to be able to have my own podcast so I just thank y'all so much for putting up with me and my goofiness and my nonsense and you know sharing the same love and passion for sports as I have that you all have as well so we're going to get into it got a lot to cover like I said today's recap is going to include but not limited to NCAA women's hoops recap UFC 296 recap the small controversy inside of the UFC 296 recap Sean Strickland and Drakus Duplessis fist fight controversy NFL recap itself and then news and notes just over the weekend so we're going to get right into it again this podcast is brought to you by Spotify Spotify podcast and whatever was left in my fridge from dinner the night before which was a chuck arm steak and it was fire (laughs) anywho we're just gonna hop right into it so women's college basketball recap the number one team in the country the South Carolina Gamecocks coached by coach Don Staley the legendary Don Staley herself get a 70 point deficit win over Presbyterian this past weekend 99 to 29 for Wiley starts over Raven Johnson the junior the star phenom junior herself um, grabs that start over Johnson drains 18 points goes 8 for 16 from the field and does not make it to the free throw line and depending on how you're looking at it could be a good thing could be a bad thing but when you're the number one team in the country there are some games that you don't have to rely upon the free throw shots. This past game for them was that game. So Vakis for Presbyterian dropped 15 points, was 6 for 20 from the field, and also did not make any trips to the free throw line. So just judging off of the individual stats, you know, that was just given if you watched the game, if you saw some of the highlights. It was very much a dominant performance by Coach Staley's Gamecocks, but it was also very much a progressive game for Presbyterian itself. 
um, when you're in some of those lower tier D2, D3, uh, NAIA tiers of college basketball, it's still a competitive sport and you always want to try to see what your team and your game schemes and how they compare to those at the very, very top of the level and what better way to do it than to test it against the number one team in the country. They are the number one team in the country for a reason and the 70-point deficit says so. Just, you know, looking at some of the team stats itself, um, as a team, percentage-wise, from the field, the South Carolina Gamecocks shot just about 53% from the three-point line, um, which is a little bit low for them, but you always try to err on the side of who you're playing and what you're playing for. I think this game, and I could be wrong, so don't quote me, but I think this game for the Gamecocks in terms of game plan was we're going to get some people some some good, decent minutes. We're going to rest some people. We're going to see what kind of sets we have that we can run out of against a a hungry team, you know, a team that needs the visibility, a team that wants to showcase their talents. Um, and I think Presbyterian did that very well. Just going back to some of the team stats, uh, South Carolina um, percentage in terms of field goal, uh, they had 43.5 in terms of field goals made and attempted, which is still a little bit low. Like I said, you always want to try to look at the reasoning for playing or what we're playing for in terms of the game. Presbyterian uh, field goal percentage, super low, 15.6. But again, you have to look at who you're playing, where you're playing, what you're playing for, what kind of a game plan we assembled beforehand. Um, But this is the stat to me that kind of sticks out is the rebounds. So, as a team, South Carolina had 55 rebounds total. As a team, Presbyterian had 33. It's a 22.23 point rebound deficit. And for a team to get double-digit rebounds on the number one team in NCAA women's basketball currently as it stands is outstanding to me. That shows that there was work being done on the court. It was coast-to-coast, baseline-to-baseline, defense zones man to man high low post action it was the the rebounds itself in terms of the stats tell me that there was hard defense being played on both sides of the ball and i can more than likely guarantee you that a good chunk of those rebounds were also offensive boards you know missed layups putbacks you know elbow shots things of that nature so these stats in terms of not so much the score deficit and the score itself, but the percentage and the numbers show me that it was a still competitive game. And I absolutely can't wait to go back and rewatch those parts of the game that I missed um, in terms of just overall across the board. If anybody knows me, they know that I am very much a sports head. So even if I watch the game live, I will go back and rewatch it just 
to see if I missed anything, just to see if there was something that that should have stuck out to me that I didn't quite see. Um, and I think you're going to get that, you know, anywhere. And I know the both of these two teams, you know, are back in their respective um, states and schools going back over game film from the weekend, um, you know, with opposing each other this past weekend. So I'm sure both of them are going to be locked in and ready to go for the rest of the season. Moving on to the marquee game, at least here in Des Moines, um, Cleveland State comes to Des Moines to play the Iowa Hawkeyes at the Wells Fargo Arena. This game had been sold out since it got announced last season in 2022. I did my homework on Cleveland State. Cleveland State is a very fast-paced team. Cleveland State's Purdue guard dropped 24 points was 8 for 14 from the field and 3 for 4 from the field goal which means she was getting buckets and getting busy inside the paint in the elbows and splitting the defense that's what that tells me you go 3 for 4 from the from the, th- the free throw line that means you was getting busy and getting your work in but then we always got to flip it over to the opposite side Kayla Clark becomes the number 9 all-time scoring player in NCAA women's basketball history. Drops 38 points, is 13 for 27 from the field, and 3 for 3 from the free throw line, which also tells me Caitlin Clark was being Caitlin Clark. CC22 was getting buckets, getting busy, doing what she does, dishing, assisting, getting the paint, creating chaos as she always does. Um, with this 104 win to 75 win over Cleveland State, Cleveland State drops to nine and two on their season, and Iowa advances to 11 to one in their season. As it stands right now, Iowa is 11 and one. They had that one loss to Kansas State and avenged it in the tournament a couple of, just about a month ago. Um, Iowa's on fire, and I love to see it. There's always room for improvement. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, and I think the biggest misconception in terms of just strictly talking Iowa basketball for women right now is people love to hate on Caitlin Clark. I don't understand why, but when you are a high-profile athlete and you come from the capital city of the state you play for and the university you play for there's always going to be scrutiny there's always going to be people questioning oh well her three points are her three-point percentage is just so high why is she taking so many shots well let's look at the other side because she's creating shots and opportunities for other people you know if, if people pay attention to some of these other teams with stars they're doing the exact same things the only difference is is they may not be as highly sought after or talked about and i'm not going to say not so much not so much highly sought after not so much highly spoke about in the public eye um if anybody watches the um sound off um newscast on sunday nights here in des moines uh, who channel 13 with keith murphy john sears and andy fails um those three gentlemen do phenomenal work and Keith Murphy, you know, was on Sound Off, instinctively stating that people love to hate on 
athletes or situations they don't understand. Okay, so you're an Iowa State fan and you are going to question every small thing about Caitlin Clark because she plays for Iowa. Why don't you question those same types of things when it comes to your own team? But when somebody else does it, for your team, all hell breaks loose. The sky falls. Oh, well, why are you questioning my team? But it's okay for you to question another player on another team. The scrutiny that some of these players and athletes, no matter on what platform, what level, not gender, any of that, some of the scrutiny that some of these athletes get is mind-boggling to me. Um, it makes absolutely zero sense whatsoever to me. And then I think about where I've come from in terms of being an athlete and getting my social media presence. Um, anybody that knows me knows that I used to be like a avid Facebook troll quote-unquote and most of it was just for fun I like to ruffle feathers I like to debate I like to have inquisitive and intuitive conversations about sports with people um until it starts to get wildly out of hand and I feel like lately some of the things that I've seen and not just in defense of Caitlin Clark but in defense of other athletes as well um why there's zero reason why we should be scrutinizing these athletes um but that's also why they were put in this position is because they have been able to handle the scrutiny and the naysayers and everything like that. And to that, I just say, all of y'all just keep proving them wrong. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep getting buckets. Keep getting tutties. Keep getting the success that you have been molding yourself as an athlete to get at this level. It's just wild to me. And just going back to the Iowa-Cleveland State game itself in terms of team stats, Cleveland State field goal percentage, 43.5 overall for four, four quarters of basketball on a little bit lower scale in terms of just division-wise, not so much athletic-wise or player-wise. That's pretty good. Um, you're coming into host, not really hostile environment, but hostile environment in terms of being a visitor and you're playing in the busiest city in the state, and you're playing the number four ranked team at the time with one of college women's college basketball and basketball in general's most pivotal athletes in Caitlin Clark and the Iowa Hawkeyes, in Hannah Stolke and the Iowa Hawkeyes, Gabby Marshall, that whole entire front seven squad bench included, Coach Lisa Bluter included in that, that's a good stat. Iowa was 50.7, 51, essentially. A little bit on the lower side for them, but of course, you know, it goes back to what we were doing, how we planned, that type of thing. Uh, field goal percentage as a team, Iowa was a little bit on the lower side, 32.3 to Presbyter- or, uh, Cleveland State, rather, 58.8, so... essentially to 32%. That means if you didn't watch the game or didn't get to see the highlights, that means Iowa was dishing the ball down low, elbow and below. Shots were being taken from the perimeter, but we were working at that point in the paint play. 
our elbow shots, mid-range shots, things that we need to work on in terms of, you know, getting back to the national championship this weekend, things that we may need to strengthen up or reassure on some sides of the coin. Uh, Turnover ratio, uh, 19 for Iowa, 17 for Cleveland State, and then rebounds. Iowa had 49 rebounds total. Cleveland State had 21. Double-digit rebounds on top five team in the country in terms of women's college basketball across any division or ranking double digit rebounds is really really good and I think some of these other teams are starting to see that the just because the school that you're playing is a big name doesn't necessarily mean that your team can't live up to that moment those rebounds and these stats and the fact that I watched the game as it was happening, um, and we're listening to it rather, tells me that this game was competitive and fast-paced across the boards. Moving on to the next game. In this game, these two teams have always seemed to drive me nuts. Because if anybody knows anything about the Creighton Blue Jays, Creighton is a basketball just wonderland. The state of Nebraska itself is a basketball state, and Creighton is known on the men's side and the women's side to upset seasons just for fun because they're good, and that's what they do. Creighton comes to Drake. Uh, Creighton beats Drake by 11 points, 89 to 78. Uh, Ronsick drops 31 points, goes 13 for 19 from the from the field, and goes two for two from the free throw line. Uh, Dana Barr drops 26 points, goes eight for 13, eight for 14 from the field, and six for seven from the free throw line. This game tells me it was very very defensive, just from individual stats alone. Um, I went back and again watched some of the highlights, went back and try and watched some of the parts that I didn't get to see. This was a scrappy game. This game was. 100% scrappy and you love to see it when it's in region rivals um, rather than just in state rivals I always feel like regional rivals are better because you play you'll, you know you'll go to your rival school play them you might get a win and then they have to come to you that means you the pressure is on you to keep that keep their number um, Creighton is real good for messing that up and I for one being an Iowa fan still get chills watching and remembering some of those Creighton games growing up and watching and remembering that a couple years ago Creighton upset Iowa going into the Sweet 16. So I still shudder at the fact, but the fact that it wasn't the Hawkeyes that they were playing this time gives me a little bit of relief, but it doesn't quite give me relief because Drake women's basketball is a very, very good team as well. Um, Creighton has always been on the plus side in terms of talent, athleticism, and just the fact that they come to ruin your season because that's what they do and that's how good they are. Uh, team stats, you know, go as follows, kind of just like the theme that we've been running off of here. Uh, Creighton from the field, percentage-wise as a team, 54 and a half. Drake, 53. Again, those that the, that top stat line tells me very very scrappy game shots were taken 
uh, three-point percentage as a team, Drake had 57.1. Field goal percentage as a team for Creighton, 45.2. And for Creighton to have anything less than 50% as a team in terms of field goal tells me that they purposely switched their game to stop the strength of Drake, which is perimeter shots and paint and inside the paint play that stat right there tells me alone it was another scrappy game in most of these women's games lately i feel like have been nothing but scrappy and scrappy and just drawn out and just like the men's games and honestly in most instances better and i might be biased but these women's games lately on the dockets have been nothing short of fun and entertaining. Uh, Just to finish out the stat lines, um, Drake had 28 rebounds as a team. Creighton had five. That's wild to me. Five to 28 rebound ratio, which tells me Drake was either having some issues with putbacks or not quite you know, getting our shots elevated to where we need them to be, where Creighton, those five rebounds tell me it was a one-off miss every blue moon in the corner, maybe two in the first or two two in the second. And then uh, turnovers. The turnovers is kind of where it threw me. Creighton had 21 turnovers to Drake's 16. Just going off of turnovers alone, you would think that Drake would have won that game. Okay, we had less turnovers, so we should have won. But it also tells tells me that, okay, there were some mental lapses. Some calls didn't go our way. Somebody could have gotten a technical. um, All kinds of things could have factored into that. So I think it's just interesting to look at individual stats and team stats as well. But moving on to the next thing in our docket, UFC 296 recap, Leon Rocky Edwards versus Colby Chaos Covington for the UFC World Welterweight title. Going off of the prelim fights and then moving up into our co-main event and main event, Cody Nolov Garbrandt comes back to the Bantamweight division. Um, TKO versus uh, Brian Callagher, uh, three minutes and 43 seconds into the first round. If anybody follows the UFC and has followed the UFC, Cody Nolov is a dog. Cody Nolov Garbrandt is not one to be played with. Cody tried to go to... um, Flyweight at 125 didn't quite work out the way he wanted. Moves back up to bantamweight and secures that win with a knockout. Cody has some of the sharpest hands in the UFC that anybody has ever seen. He has he knocked out TJ Dillashaw. He knocked out Dominic Cruz, and I think him knocking out Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz is one of the best bantamweights to fight in the UFC. TJ Dillashaw. His ex-friend and teammate is also one of the best bantamweights 
to walk into an octagon in terms of um, 135. Cody Garbrandt, I feel like at the end of his career is going to cement himself into that legacy because he is also a former champion. Garbrandt is a former champion. Dominic Cruz is a former champion. TJ Dillashaw is a former champion. Um, So when you are surrounded by constant greatness and you are greatness, you know, you fall off a little bit and come back and you're still able to show people who you are and what you're known for. Cody Garbrandt displayed that phenomenally this past weekend. And I can't wait to see if he moves his way back up to get a title shot. If he is able to move himself back into the title talks of the Bantamweight division, um, it's over with. I think Cody snags that belt back. I'm not even going to lie. You know, but that's another story to be told once he starts to move back up into the rankings of the Bantamweight division. Um, It's going to be nuts to see Cody had never looked sharper in fact I think personally Cody looked more sharp than he has before I think he looked sharper than when he first got into the UFC and obviously with time and injuries and the more development you have as a fighter or an athlete the better you're going to get over time um you know, injuries can help time away, you know, with him dropping down to dropping down a weight class and then inevitably realizing, you know, 125 is not quite for me. He moves back up to that nat- more natural weight class and just, you know, gives Brian Callagher an L. And sometimes it'd be like that. Uh, moving on, light heavyweight division, Alonzo Manifield, unanimous decision. Um, over Dustin Jacoby. Um, this was a very technical fight, in my opinion. Um, Manafield, I feel like, could float between light heavyweight and heavyweight. Um, Manafield, to me, is one of those hybrid athletes where you can, if you're him, you know, you can cut weight to get to that 205 threshold of a light heavyweight but if you wanted to fight heavier and you wanted to test the waters in terms of where you would stand as a heavyweight fighter you could put on that extra muscle put on the extra poundage to get up there in the ranks with um Cyril Gaon, Derek Lewis, Stipe Miocic, um John Bones Jones um you know people of that nature so Manafield very technical, um, very surgical in terms of kick placement, punch placement, uh, things of that nature. Um, women's bantamweight, Irene Aldana gets a unanimous, unanimous decision over Kel Rosa. This was actually the second fight I was able to watch on this card. Um, I had some stuff going on, so I didn't get to watch some of the ones in between co- from Cody to this fight. Aldana is a force to be reckoned with. Um, that fight started off very one-sided. It was very much kill Rosa. Round two comes, then it was very much Aldana. Round three comes, and I personally think round three was a split. Um, I think because of some of the types of punches and magnitudes of punches and strikes that um, Irene Aldana was throwing at Kale Rosa's what Evan inevitably got that split to go her way. Um, if you watch this fight, 
and you saw the post-fight interview, you saw the faces of those two women after being battered and bruised by each other for three five-minute rounds. It was electric to watch. And if my memory serves me correctly, I think that's one of the fights that got fight of the night. Um, Got that fight of the night bonus itself. So congrats to those girls. Congrats to um, Cody and Brian and Alonzo and Dustin as well. The past two fights I just spoke about. Everybody that was put on this fight card was put on this fight card for a reason. So far, it's been electric. We're going to keep moving on. Josh Emmett gets the KO over Bryce Thug, Nasty Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell... (laughs) Bryce Mitchell is just a down-home dude. He's from Arkansas. Blue-collar guy. Just super thankful for what he's been afforded and what he's been able to accomplish. And he took this fight on short notice. I don't know how short notice. I just know that he was, he did take this fight on short notice. Josh Emmett is a dude though. Josh Emmett is one of the hardest hitters in the flyweight division um, in terms of power placement and strikes in general. Josh Emmett is not to be messed with. Josh Emmett has one punch knockout power. And unfortunately for Bryce Young, or not Bryce Young, Bryce Mitchell rather, he found that out. I think if Bryce Mitchell had a full eight more eight week, 12 week camp, I think Josh Emmett still would have gotten the decision, but I think Bryce Mitchell tags his face a little bit more. I think he gets into his range and gets settled in, but Josh Emmett is very fast and very accurate. So I don't think Bryce Mitchell saw it coming. Um, Bryce Mitchell still very much in the talks in terms of ranking when it comes to the flyweight division, but Josh Emmett has his number currently. Moving on to back to the lightweight division. This was a fight I was very, very interested to see. Uh, Tony Elkukui Ferguson, the boogeyman, unfortunately falls to Patty the Batty Pimblet. Um, Patty the Batty wins by unanimous decision. Uh, three-round decision. Patty had an injury after his last fight, had to take some time off, um, heal up, and in the middle of his camp, um, announced that he was having twins with him and his fiance. Congrats to him. I'm excited. The the Batty twins are going to be probably everything in a much like their father and mother put together in one that will be interesting to watch and see those two those two children grow um for tony tony looked pretty fucking good part of my french but he looked pretty good compared to his last fight um that he also had an ellen unfortunately tony looked good tony did a lot of work with um david goggins Um, If you don't know who David Goggins is, I highly, highly suggest you get on YouTube and figure out who the hell David Goggins is, because Goggins will change your life. Um, Goggins is like black coffee in the morning, um, fresh out the shower after you just washed your hair, and then some. Goggins is is that energy drink that you ingest without actually having the calories. Um, And you could tell where Tony's mind was. After each round, Goggins was right behind him, talking to him. His corner was talking to him. Goggins was telling him, you need to get your fucking head in the game. You need to start doing what Tony Ferguson does. And 
that fight, I think for Tony, could have honestly gone either way. Uh, Patty was just a little bit more busy. And at the end, at the uh, post-fight interview, Dana White did say, he said, I would like to see Tony retire. And I know Dana White knows the boogeyman. That man doesn't know what quit is. I mean, I think that's part of the reason why, just personally, he was working with Goggins so much. And I love that for him. But at this point, where do you go from here? Do you try to... Do you change your camp? Do you change... What do you change in order to get a, a get a win if you're able to get another fight opportunity? If you're Patty the Batty, you're you're happy you're you know you had that you had the surgery to fix your injury after the last fight you come out blazing and you be a pioneer in one of the best lightweights to do the damn thing but again across the board there's always room for improvement and i think the fact that patty corn wrote his hair and these are like the small details that some people may not see but Patty the Batty is known for his luscious Liverpool locks of blonde hair. Um, and he said pre-fight interview that the reason he cornrowed his hair was because he feels like when he gets when punches get thrown at him, the judges see his hair, you know, see him move his head out of the way and his hair go everywhere. So they think that there is some kind of significant significant damage. So he said I'm going to cornrow this back right now so that way there's no discrepancy when it comes to taking punches or not taking punches at that point. And I think he was absolutely right in doing that, but I think he lost a little bit of his trademark by cornrowing his hair. But it wouldn't be any different from me having my dreadlocks out of my football uniform or you know having my hair pulled during a fight which I've also had happen so I completely understand it it's part of the uniform it's part of your person as an athlete so that's just a risk that you take having luscious locks of hair like the both of us uh moving on to another well uh welterweight fight Shavkat Rachmanov submits Stephen Wonderboy Thompson by rear naked choke Shavkat Rachmanov is 18-0, and and I believe over 75% of his wins have been by submission. This man is no joke. This man is like a walking food compressor. Like, he gonna choke you out with anything, and I love that because he's young and he's hungry, but Stephen Thompson is 40 years old, 39 years old, and he still got it. But it was painfully obvious that Wonder Boy is, you know, his bread and butter is karate. Anybody knows Stephen Wonder Boy Thompson that has followed the UFC knows that Wonder Boy, his bread and butter is his awkward taekwondo or karate angles rather, and his his length of striking. He's six foot four and throws some of the wildest shots from wildest angles because of his background. Black belt in, in karate, um, master karate instructor, um, upstate karate in New York. And I'm kind of surprised because I didn't see or really hear 
people calling for Wonder Boy's retirement or he should quit or he should go to a different promotion type thing. It was more or less all positive, but I think personally, if Wonder Boy is going to take on another fight, um, I think it would do him well to reevaluate his ground game because it was painstakingly obviously that he was unsure what to do when um, Shavkat Radmanov had him on his back and had him in those different mounts. He gave up his back and that's how he ended up getting that very, very quick and tight rear naked choke. I was like, oh, one second we were, we, you know, we were in turtle position on all fours and the next second uh, Shavkat Radmanov is, who's 6'3", is dangling off of your 6'4 body putting you in a rear naked choke. Um, but that's neither here nor there. That fight itself, personally, to me, was very great. Very engaging. Um, just right up until Rachmanov got Wonder Boy on the ground. And once he got him on the ground, it was kind of all she wrote. But I, I fully think uh, Wonder Boy Thompson comes back and avenges that, that loss. Uh, moving on to our co-main event. Alexandre Pantoja gets a unanimous unanimous decision and retains the flyweight belt over Brandon Rawdog Royval. If you watched this fight in particular, Alexandre Pantoja blows his gas tank about midway through the second round. Brandon Royval's corner told him Pantoja is tired if you watch the fight you listen to the cornerman on both sides his head coach literally said this is what you have been working for for 16 years it's time to close out Royval does that and starts literally to close the gap through round three through round four round five comes championship round comes Royval starts to lose a little bit of the pace that he was giving Pantoja. Pantoja is able to get his get his composure back, get his gag, get a little bit of his gas tank back, and inevitably grabs that unanimous decision. I think Pantoja and Royval run it back for a third time. Um, I'm not sure what would change on either side. I do think Pantoja, if that is ran back again, works on not blowing his load so fast in the first two rounds. And if I'm Roy Vall, I think I'm just refining what I was doing and just relearning how to keep that same pace that I had in those championship rounds the entire fight. He already fights at altitude, so his cardio and his cardiovascularity and his stamina is already there. I think for him, it's just refining because that fight really could have gone either way. I was taking Raw Dog in that fight to, to become and new, but I also think some of that decision was respect to the current champion. And now we move on to our main event, the marquee fight of 296, Leon Rocky Edwards over 
Colby Chaos Covington unanimous unanimous decision and also retains the belt Rocky Edwards Mr. Leon himself very quiet minded mannered fighter um and if you watched the embedded series if you watched countdown if you watched um the press conference pre-fight you know the kind of rage that leon edwards had expressed um kobe covington who is known for being as brash and overly electric and very controversial and pivotal um individual and his love for his united states and don't get me wrong i love that for him i also love my country there's absolutely nothing wrong with showing how you love your country but when you come to a point to where you feel like you need to disrespect an opponent and their family and you have to bring family into your quote-unquote smack talk or quote-unquote mental welfare to try to get a one-up over on somebody else for whatever strange reason your your little heart desires not cool um Kobe Covington made some very um disheartening comments about Leon Edwards father um Ed, Leon Edwards father it's, it is a known fact that he was uh, murdered in gang violence in um the UK when Leon was younger and during the press conference Kobe made it a mission to mention that during the press conference and Leon throws the microphone at his head um and they had to get you know the event security involved to keep them separated um Colby Covington comes to the press conference dressed like George Washington for whatever reason not really sure why and that's it's not a very great color on him that's just me personally um I just think overall some of the antics that Colby Covington displayed were very distasteful and it also showed in the fight granted Colby had Colby had some ring rust he also had an injury he was off he's been out of the octagon since 20 2021 I believe um and it showed Colby is a forward fighter he's known for putting pressure and wrestling you to the ground Rocky had other plans for that. <laughs> Rocky had absolutely other plans for that. Um, and I think three quarters of the way through the fight, people were starting to see that, okay, Rocky is trying to prove a point. Just because you are who you are does that does not mean me being the champion, I can't beat you. That's not how this works. Um, Rocky Edwards had... Um, he went 65 for 116 total strikes. He had 57 for 108 significant strikes, so which is just over half. Um, on a fighter of the nature of Colby Covington, that's a lot better than most people because Colby is such a forward progressing fighter in terms of he likes to put pressure on you. He's constantly putting pressure on you. Um, 21 for 62 headshots. That's nuts. 21 for 62, not quite half, but a little bit better than what some people would 
attempt and and land on Colby Covington because he's always moving and always changing his angles. But again, this fight was not that. Colby was kind of a stalemate. He was kind of just okay. Like this is this is what we're doing. Um, Rocky Edwards is a lefty. Colby Covington is also a lefty. Rocky Edwards <laughs> was chopping at that post leg of Colby Covington. His right thigh was about as red as the MAGA hat that he was wearing at the press conference the night before. Leon Edwards was doing nothing but chopping at that post leg. There were some times in the fight where Colby couldn't even plant his leg to advance to make a strike or a punch because Leon was chopping it and chopping it and chopping it. And all you could see was just every every spot on Colby's leg that Leon landed a shot, you could see it and you could hear it. Um, I know Joe Rogan and John Anik and Daniel Cormier, Cormier, who was commentating the fight as they always do most of the time when it comes to these big cards, were constantly commenting on the fact that Colby was not fighting the way that they normally see him fight. And of course, Colby being Colby towards the end, which is at the end of the press conference, says his brush, his brush, whatever, and then says, oh, I don't have a scratch on me as he's sitting there in the middle of the octagon with a giant gash over his nose and barely keeping balance on his right leg because Leon Edwards chops the complete hell out of it. Um, But that's Colby. That's what he's known for. Uh, I mean, I personally, as a fighter, I like watching him fight. I'm not with all the antics and all the extra stuff, but, you know, everybody has that niche and thing that makes them a fighter or makes them their, their character or, you know, whatever people know them by. A um, little bit of Colby stats. Um, 109 for 104 uh, total shots. Uh, 44 for 126 significant shots. 20 for 86 headshots and body shots. 7 for 12. That tells me Chaos Covington was headhunting. You go 7 for 12 to Rockies. 14 to 21 and this is this is the biggest discrepancy this one right here rocky edwards 22 for 25 leg shots leg strikes 17 for 28 for colby chaos covington that's the fight right there the amount of leg strikes thrown in colby's direction that's why he couldn't get anything off every time he tried to step rocky was blasting that post like and then switching stances and I think for Colby it was the switching stances and the different paces that Leon was showing with each stance he would show a different pace with one stance then show a, a, a brand new pace with the other stance or he would flip that he would go to one stance and be moderate and then go to the other one and be explosive it was very much a technical fight in terms of there wasn't a lot of flash there wasn't a lot of big big shots there wasn't a lot of takedowns um Colby had two for ten takedown attempts to Leon Edwards takedown two to three takedowns and Leon I feel like took a chance with 
wanting to grapple with Colby, but I, like I said before, I think he was trying to prove a point in terms of like, okay, I am the champion for a reason. I took a chance and that chance also could have cost him the belt. And I think he realized that, but in order to show people and show himself like, okay, I can take you down too. I may not be the best at it, but I can beat you at your own game. And Saturday night, that's exactly what he did. People want to sit there and tell me that Colby got inside Leon's head. I think Leon got inside Colby's head. It, it showed. It showed in the fight. Look at Colby's right leg. That'll tell you the entire story of the fight. All you need to know. We only got a couple minutes left here in the pod, so we're going to try to get through the NFL recap um, with as much detail as possible. Some of these games this weekend were very interesting to me. Um, we're just going to start off with the most mind-boggling game. The Atlanta Falcons fall to what was then the 1-12 Carolina Panthers. 7-9. to nine. That was it. 7-9. to nine. Desmond Ritter goes 12 for 20, 152 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Bryce Young, 18 for 24, 167 yards. Allegier, 14 carries, 45 yards. Chuba Hubbard, 22 carries, 87 yards. Smith had two receptions for 61 yards. And Adam Thielen had four receptions for 43 yards. This game came down to a field goal. The entirety of the fact that this game combined barely got double digits tells me one of two things. It was either very much a defensive fight in terms of the game and how it was played, or there was a lot of mental mistakes and turnovers and penalties um, that prevented teams from getting into the end zone multiple times. Um, With the Falcons losing, brings me to my own game. Oh, if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, you are trying to puzzle it all together. You're trying to piece it all together. Dallas loses by 21 points to the Buffalo Bills. Um, 10 to 31. I've been telling people all season, this is a trap game. This game is always a trap game. Every time we play the Buffalo Bills or somebody in the AFC, it's a trap game. Dak Prescott. And while a lot of Dallas fans want to scrutinize him and blame him, Again, last I checked, Dak does not play all sides of the ball. Dak does one thing and one thing only, and that's be the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Dak Prescott goes 21 for 34, 135 yards, one interception. Josh Allen, 7 for 15, 94 yards, and one touchdown. The fact that the Buffalo Bills defense was able to completely shut down the number one scoring offense in NFL football right now tells me that 
Dallas got slightly complacent and the Buffalo Bills and not just not not that they needed it but the Buffalo Bills wanted that game everybody has a bad game and I personally as a Dallas fan I'm not too up or down about it because I didn't go into this game thinking that we were going to blow them out of the water. I knew this game was going to be tough. I didn't know it was going to be a blowout. I just knew that every time Josh Allen plays at home, much like Dak and the Cowboys play at home, they are damn near unstoppable. And that's exactly what happened. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills and Bills Mafia showed why they are contending for a wild card spot in the AFC right now. If you are a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, however, you're extremely excited to see that Baker Mayfield is one of the first quarterbacks to go into Lambeau Field as a visitor and have a perfect passer rating. Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers defeat the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau by 14 points, 34 to 20. Baker Mayfield um, has a one uh, one point 158.3 passer rating, which is perfect. 22 for 28, which means he's missed, he missed six passes all game. That's nuts. 381 yards, four touchdowns. Jordan Love, 29 for 39, 284 touchdowns. Or 284 yards, rather, two touchdowns. Jordan Love is a dude. Just with his first year as the main starter for... The Green Bay Packers, it's a little rough. Aaron Jones coming back off of an injury. 13 carries, 53 yards. Dontavion Wicks, 6 receptions, 47 yards. Chris Godwin, 10 receptions, 155 yards. And then um, White, 21 carries, 89 yards. That's a battle right there. That that Those stats literally tell me back and forth, back and forth. Like score for score. Or field goal for field goal. Baker Mayfield, ever since he got to South Florida, I think has really started to find his niche in terms of the type of player he is. And I love that for him, frankly. Um, I don't love that he's getting so much scrutiny or was getting so much scrutiny, but I think this game... Um, going into a hostile Lambeau field was very much needed for them to solidify their um, their record in the hunt as well. Just going back to some of these Dallas stats as I'm just looking over in my notes here. The Dallas Cowboys defense, which is the number one overall total defense for the NFL, gets completely waxed and shut down. Michael Parsons gets injured um, part of the way through the first quarter, which I think had a huge effect on it. But we couldn't put a pass rush on Josh Allen if it was like a pregnancy craving and it was going out of style. Um, Josh Allen was doing what he wanted and then some. On the Buffalo Bills defense, Vaughn Miller, um, A.J. Epinesa, were doing what they wanted with my offensive line. Um, and then I ended up losing our center um, due to a quad injury. And I don't believe he returned after that quad injury in the middle of the 
first uh, first second quarter. Uh, that does conclude the NFL recap. Circling back to the UFC really quick. So Sean Strickland, um, middleweight UFC champion, uh, who is set to face Drakus Duplessis in the next big UFC card. I believe it's UFC 297. Um, Drakus Duplessis and uh, Sean Strickland. You know they did at the UFC 296 event. They did a pan in um, shot of those two. They were just jawing back and forth a little bit. Then Sean Strickland asks another fighter's son to just move over a little bit. And Sean Strickland jumps over to the next row and starts to try to um, fist fight Dracus Duplessis. UFC event staff security has to come over and split the two up. And Sean Strickland gets kicked out of the event. On top of that, Sean Strickland who has become a very polarizing individual as well um, since his uh, his title in beating Israel Adesanya has become very polarizing. I mean, he's always been polarizing and outgoing and just pretty brash and says it like it is. Not a great look, my guy. Not a great look when you're going into your first title defense against a, another heavy-hitting open-minded middleweight and Drakus Duplessis. Um, that fight itself, that next card is going to be wild because there, there was already bad blood there and now there's more bad blood. And the fact that you felt the need to start an Instagram live video before you get kicked out for making an attempt to essentially assault Drakus Duplessis. I'm not, I'm not really going to call assault, but in the legality terms, that's what people are going to call it because y'all weren't fighting and all that. I just want to know why. Why did you feel the need to do all that extra stuff, Sean? Like, I don't understand. Like, I would just love for you to explain why. Because some of us are literally sitting here dumbfounded. Like, okay, obviously there's theatrics. There's, you know, we're trying to sell a fight. I get that. But like, whatever he was saying behind you in that shot, ain't no way in hell it was that much for you to ask a, a fighter's son to move out of the way so you could do some theatrical stuff. That That's not quite a thing. Um, I would absolutely love to pick your brain with that question. And with that, folks, we are at the end of our time here on the Mac Talk Podcast. Here on Spotify and Spotify Podcasts is 3.17 Central Standard Time morning dark night I love it super content filled podcast my throat hurts my back fat hurts I need a snack but I'm trying to live healthier so I don't need no late night snack and I'm gonna tell you this I'm gonna go catch some Z's though I'm gonna get some sleep get up in the morning do my little workout clean up my little house house and get ready for the rest of the week it is the week before Christmas, week before the holidays, rather, I hope every single one of you, if I don't talk to you or if I don't get it to make another episode before the holidays, I hope everybody has a safe and happy holidays. No matter what you're celebrating, where you're celebrating, remember the meaning of the holidays. 
is to be with family, to be with friends, to be with loved ones, um, be kind to one another. Some people don't have their families to celebrate. So if you have somebody in your life that does not have somewhere to go, try to be that extra hand, extend yourself out there. Um, because this world right now is tough and the holidays are one thing that we used to be able to look forward to. With that, I am out. The Mac truck here. I'm going to get some sleep. Call me, beat me. If you want to pod me, if you don't know how to podcast, bang that follow button.